Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome. Glad to have you with us today. And our thanks to all of you who have responded so positively over this great teaching session on the cross from Warren Litzman. It's been a blessing to bring it to you, and we're so happy to hear that you're blessed by being involved in listening to it as well. Today is podcast number 195 and part number 16 of the cross. Here's Warren. Chapter 12. Now, it would only be right that we take some time for Satan. <laughs> the poor fellow is so beaten and bruised. When I look at the cross, I not only know how much my sin cost Jesus and how he paid the price to get rid of it, but when I look at the cross, I see that Satan is put under to the degree of his suffering and death. If you ever wonder how great the devil is, go to the cross. Go to the cross. Because there you will see and hear and know just exactly what happened to the devil. Read a text in John 12. This is Palm Sunday once again, and Jesus is talking about his death, beginning to read at uh, about, uh, what is it, verse 31, John 12 and 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And he might have said it like this, and in preference to him, I am going to be lifted up from the earth, and I'll draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying the death that he should die. There's little doubt about it that the death of Jesus Christ was the end of Satan's rule over this world. Now, you probably don't see that. Probably where you live, you don't feel that. And probably some of you are fighting the devil regularly, and probably some of you are uh, trying to deliver people from the devil. But the place to start in understanding the devil is at the cross. It's at the cross that God took care of his arch enemy that had tried to throw him out of his own house. But evidence that God uses Satan is the fact that the devil was not destroyed at the cross. He won't be destroyed until after the thousand years he's been bound, the millennium, and then he goes into the pit. But the death of Jesus Christ could not have been according to the plan, had not Satan been taken care of in that death. Two things happened by the death of Jesus Christ to Satan. One of them is it gave God the right to destroy Satan at the end of the millennium. But it also 
cause Satan's knowledge to be destroyed. Throughout the scripture, we see Satan attacking people in every way, shape, and form. But this was not the big thing to God, or he would have put it in his prophetic statements concerning Satan. We just studied in Genesis 3 and 15 that Jesus would kick the head of the devil. The reason for this is that his knowledge came from Adam. And when Adam is put under, not only is Adam put under, but his knowledge must go to the knowledge of good and evil. At the cross, there was a radical exchange of knowledge in God's plan. He will no longer allow the world to be ruled by Satan's knowledge. But you say the world is already ruled by Satan's knowledge. True. But not if they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what you have to understand is that when Jesus died on the cross and you were saved and had new life put in you, Satan's knowledge no longer has a force in your life unless you allow it. Now, I have many friends that are devil and demon conscious, good people, but they haven't seen the death of Jesus Christ yet in its fullness. They don't know the plan of God. God didn't stop the devil at Calvary because he still wants to use him. How does God use the devil? The devil is a major means by which God pushes people to Christ. He uses what appears to be the greatest power on earth working in our lives to push us to our trust in Christ. You say, but people can be destroyed by that. They can also be made anew. Satan came under subjection to Jesus in his knowledge at the cross. So the facts are, God keeps his word. His word was that the knowledge of Satan would stop. Every one of us that are believers should have that knowledge stopped in our life. You don't have to believe anything the devil said. The writers of the New Testament are clear on that. John especially, because he says, that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. He's a liar. Why do you want to believe a liar? Well, you say, I don't believe that Satan tells the truth. He's a liar. But if you come and tell me that the devil put this on you, then you believed Satan's lie. Well, you say, what do I do? Put your trust in the father. You are a different person than people in the world you belong to another world you belong to the father's house you're his direct bona fide offspring and you need to put your trust in that father if you think the devil is after you put your trust in your heavenly father if he didn't take care of the devil we're not going to i went through faith i even wrote a book on rebuking the devil one time Please don't look for it. <laughs> was in another language. But you see, at the cross, I began to see that Satan was brought, knowledge-wise, under control of God, and that God always uses him because he could have destroyed him at the cross. 
Why did he maintain the devil up until the millennium when he bound him a thousand years before he destroyed him at the end of the millennium? Why did he wait? He's going to use him. He's always used him. So the devil wasn't destroyed at the cross, but his knowledge was. He's kicked in the head. He's a liar now. Nothing but a liar. So Satan must have been around at the cross. And what was the thing that Satan saw in the cross? The first thing he saw was that God keeps his word. God keeps his word. Well, the old devil was around there in the Garden of Eden and thereafter. He was there when God said that the devil would be kicked in the head. And he probably laughed at it and thought, well, we'll see about that. And throughout the years, 4,000 years went by before Calvary. And the devil probably thought, well, I've got full sway now. I can do whatever I want to do. But the simple facts was God keeps his word. So I want to tell you something. God keeps his word concerning you. If you believe it, it works. If you don't believe it, if you don't believe it, then you suffer the persecution that comes from your own unbelief. Because I can guarantee you God keeps his word. Well, what really happened to Satan at the cross was that he lost his control in the spirit of man. We have the blessed scripture from Paul that says, He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. Well, what were you before? You were joined to Satan's spirit. That's what Adam did to us. Adam fixed us so that Satan was joined to us and brought to our life the knowledge of good and evil. He brought to our lives a knowledge that said, if you do good, everything works out right. If you don't do good, you're going to have trouble. That's the knowledge of good and evil. So Satan operates by that. What does he do? He constantly keeps bad things happening to us. So how do we react to bad things? Oh, the devil's really after me. Or, on the other hand, we may say, God doesn't love me anymore. We react to it. Your father has control over Satan. I don't know why some bad things happen to people, good people. Bad things do happen to good people. I'd like to tell you that you could put your trust in God and never have trouble, but that's not so. I used to preach in the faith ministries. You had enough faith, you'd never have any trouble. I could tell that to everybody else. But in my own life, I had trouble too. Because you don't escape it. Our walk with God is not a walk in the control of Satan. It's in our Father's hands. So when you got saved, your life went through the cross and a big thing that happened was Satan was separated from your spirit. That's really hard on people to, to believe that Satan is connected with them. That's why we don't call it Satan. Uh, 
Satan uh, knowledge. We call it sin knowledge. Uh, we instead of Satan being used as a word, we say we have a sin nature. But the sin nature is a Satan nature. Just better to say sin nature makes you more comfortable. Because you think that's something you do. No, that's something the devil does. Every little baby that comes into this world has a sin nature, sad to say. Well, that brings up the question, what's going to happen to babies? I never make that statement. I usually don't make it, but I made it. So that brings up what happens to babies. Well, we believe. We don't have a lot of scripture for it, but we believe God takes care of little babies, that they're his. This is why in the Christian church we dedicate those babies back to the Lord. Just a little thing we go through. They're his whether we do that or not. But I've dedicated hundreds of babies under the assumption that we can't take care of that child. It has a sin nature. And so we're going to give it back to God who created it. And it's up to him to take care of it. But he makes us stewards in the meantime. He's taking care of it by us. So what's our responsibility with children? To lead them to the Lord. Raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and lead them to the Lord. So that when they come of conviction and come of age, they will have some knowledge that they need to accept Jesus as their Savior. And I have everywhere I go somebody telling me that our grandchild or my child just came in the other day and said, I won't accept Jesus as my Savior. That's a key. You see, that's something on their part. They were born with a sin nature, but when they accept Jesus, then they have relationship between them and the Lord. But in the meantime, the Lord watches over children. He takes care of them, and if anything happens to them, he brings them on back to his house. He'll take care of them. But they have a sin nature. They're born with a sin nature. And until they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and go through the cross, that sin nature predominates. I guess my big thought here is that parents must be careful to raise their children in the Lord. That's your responsibility. When they come of age, they're going to have to accept Jesus as himself, but it doesn't hurt for you to lead and guide them to that point by teaching them the things of the Lord and opening the word up to them. So now what happened at the cross was that Satan lost his place as being connected to the spirit of man. He lost his place. That means he no longer was predominant there. It means now that anybody that accepts Jesus as their savior has Satan out and Christ in. It's that simple, you see. That's what the cross did. Now, under the law, Satan was never out. They were always harassed. Just as sure as they did something bad, they had to offer another sacrifice. Did something bad, had to offer another sacrifice. But the cross changed this aspect of spirit. Satan no longer is joined to our spirit once we accept Christ. And those who are very religious still have 
the sin nature there. I was raised in a church, a Baptist church, that believed that every Christian had a sin nature because they didn't know the message of the cross. Baptists are still like that, to be frank. They are very outspoken that everybody has two natures, a sin nature and a God nature. No, your sin nature went out. Satan was put under at the cross. Now, you still commit sin because you don't change your mind about who you are or you don't know who you are in Christ. We don't have a sin nature now. We have a new mind. Or if you don't take a new mind, you use the old mind. What's the matter with Christians who fail and are backsliding and living in sin? Their problem is in their mind. It isn't that there's an uncontrollable power in them. If Satan is still there after you're born again, then the cross was to no avail. But what happened when you were born again, Satan was brought under subjection to the cross. And the moment you go to the cross and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan and his knowledge is out and Christ is joined to your spirit. That's what makes a Christian. What makes a sinner is one who still has the sin nature. One who is free to the sin nature has divine nature, has Christ in them. So that as you believe, on the Lord Jesus Christ, simply this technical work takes place concerning the devil. Now, Satan has always worked through Adam. From the very beginning, he found an easy mark in Adam and Eve. He's always worked through Adam. So the text that we began this meeting with was that in Adam we have a living soul. God breathed the breath of life into us and made us living souls. But in Christ we have a quickening spirit. That means that your soul mind still may have the same old thoughts you had before you were saved. And after you're saved, you may wrestle with these old thoughts. But that's because you don't know who you are. When you find out who you are in Christ, you stop wrestling with these old thoughts, with the old mind. You now have a new mind in Christ. So at the cross, Satan saw Adam's death. He's dead. For every Christian, Adam, is dead. For every born-again Christian, Adam's knowledge of good and evil is dead. If you persist in it, if you keep it up and keep living like you did before, your problem's in your head and not in the cross. The cross took care of that. It must have been an awesome sight to Satan. I speculate that the devil never thought it would happen. He never thought God, whom he knew well, would ever allow his son to be killed. I'm certain of that. 
And so I think Satan, as it were, stood back and watched the scene at Calvary. And he realized one thing, that he had lost his freedom. He no longer had the freedom through the knowledge of good and evil to rule this world. Don't you see how important it is to get this new knowledge with the Christ life? That's what comes with salvation. What comes with your salvation is a new and different knowledge. If you don't take on this new knowledge that Paul gives us in his epistles, you're going to wrestle all your life with how to get rid of the old knowledge. You're going to go through life saying, well, why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Why is this problem here? Why is that problem? Because you don't have a new mind. You've never changed your mind. Now, who does that? You do it. You do it. It is already made for you. All you have to do is do it. Change your mind. Well, that'll hurt. I've said so many times before, the thing you hurt with most of all is when you have to change your mind. We don't like to change our mind. But anybody that comes into the Christ life and has that exchange in your spirit from a sin nature to a God nature is going to have to have a radical change in your mind about who you are. When you get genuinely saved and no Christ lives in you, you don't run around saying, I'm a Baptist, I'm a charismatic, I'm a, a Pentecostal, I'm this or Catholic or that. You don't talk that way anymore. You have a changed life. What you are now is a child of God. You're a son of God. And that needs to reach your mind. You need to know and to understand that that's something that is acute to the plan of God. God does not change your mind when you're saved. You understand that? He doesn't change your mind. Why? That's where the love affair is. If he changed your mind, he would not get reciprocal love from you. It wouldn't be the kind of love he gives you. He'd be forcing you to love him, and he doesn't want that. Your mind coming under control of the Christ that is within you is the love affair. Why does a man stop running around once he gets saved, quits his affairs or whatever he's doing? After he gets married, why does he quit running around? It's simple. He loves his wife. He has a love affair, so he quits. He changes his mind about it. If he doesn't, then it's not love. He can't say, honey, I love you, and still mess around. To say I love you is to give back the same kind of love you're getting. That's what Christ in you helps you to do. He helps you to return the same kind of love that you're getting. God loves you. He wants you to return that kind of love from him. It isn't in you to do it. It's the Christ in you that I love, but he can do nothing without your mind. So let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. 
You're now free. You're free of Satan if you want to be. You don't have to go through life saying I'm defeated. You don't have to say as a Christian, well, I just can't overcome. That's the old knowledge. You've got to change your mind about the way you think and what you believe. Satan stood and watched this, and he lost his freedom. He lost freedom to do as he pleases. Now, as many as call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's all they have to do. Heretofore, there was a long journey to get to the Lord. Many sacrifices to offer. Many changes you make. But now, a radical change has taken place. He's lost his freedom to do as he pleases. And you can find the Lord by simply believing. Satan has never had any power aside from Adam. That's the first one he moved through and all of his offsprings, which was every one of us. We were offsprings of Adam until we accepted Jesus as our Savior. Well, there's always some Adamites around that Satan uses. Remember, God can do nothing except through human beings. Christ can do nothing except he has a body to live in. And Satan does nothing except he has somebody to use. And so this happened at the cross. This took place at the cross. And I want you to go with me to a very important moment at the cross. It's recorded over in Matthew 27. Matthew 27. And I want to begin reading at verse 37. And they set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then there were two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest mocking him and with scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let God deliver him now, if he'll have him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the thieves also cast. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. This is Satan, a loser. He's moved through three groups of people that stand around the cross. This is an awesome thing that's taken place. 
I've told you about redemption and what Jesus did for us. But let me tell you what the devil tried to do. Three groups of people were there. And all three groups of this, these people tried to get Jesus off the cross. What in the world was behind that? Now let's look at the first group. They that passed by reviled and wagging their heads and saying, this is the one we heard preach that he could destroy the temple and build it back in three days. If he be the son of God, let him come down from the cross. These were the sightseers. These were the folks that had gotten out on a Friday to see the big show at Golgotha. And so they were mocking him. They were saying he preached that I can destroy the temple and build it back in three days. They thought he was talking about a thing like Solomon's temple. No, he was talking about his body, his body. They didn't get that. They weren't deep enough in understanding to know that. So they said he said he'd destroy the temple and build it back in three days. If he is the son of God, come down from the cross. Oh, what's happened to the devil? Something has happened to the devil. All of a sudden, the devil has seen that Jesus may be more powerful in his death than he ever was in his life. So he's got a group of people there to represent him. Come on down from the cross. You said you're the son of God. Prove it. Give us a miracle right now. Come off that cross. Outright mockery. Come down from the cross. You're the son of God. Come down from the cross. They just wanted to see a miracle. Let me tell you about humanity. All humanity would like to see a miracle. I was in a hospital not long ago with a family, and they had some unbelievers in the family, and it was getting kind of desperate. They wanted a real healing, a real miracle to take place, and so I overheard two of the family members talking, and one of them said in a little angry voice, said, well, don't you believe in a miracle? Let's pray God can give us a miracle. And this unbeliever said, well, sure, I'd like to see a miracle. Wasn't warm toward the Lord, had no interest in the scriptures. But he answered and said, sure, I'd like to see a miracle. This would be a good place for one. That's the group standing around the cross. If you are the son of God, if you're that miracle worker we saw out on the hillside and on the streets, Come down from the cross. Come on down. That'll be a miracle that'll stir all of us. Aren't you glad he didn't do it? They cried, come down from the cross. Then the next group was there was those preachers. They're the ones that had the major word and getting them nailed to the cross because they could have put Barabbas on that cross but instead, they put Jesus there. 
And so it said, likewise, the chief priest mocking him with scribes and elders. Boy, there was a big group there. Not only the preachers had their secretaries there, but they had all the elders that sat on the front seat of the church. They had the whole group there. And what had happened to them? What in the world had happened to them? They certainly had not been convinced that the death of Jesus Christ frees the world of sin. Something had happened to them. All of a sudden, the chief priest and the elders said, He may be a savior if we let him die on the cross. We've made a horrible mistake here. Get him off the cross. Preachers wanted him off the cross. They wanted him to save himself. Mocking him. The scripture said he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. What words those were. He had come to save his own people. But the own people he had come to save believed him not. And now at the last minute, a remarkable thing has taken place. There had been a handful of Jews to accept Jesus. But if there had been thousands to accept Jesus, if there had been hundreds of thousands to accept Jesus, that would not have made him king of the Jews. There was only one thing that would make him king of the Jews, and that is if that Sanhedrin made up of the chief priest had decided by election and by heart that we accept Jesus as our Messiah. That 70 group of people didn't take thousands to make him a king. It only took 70. If that Sanhedrin had broken the voice of Israel, the government of Israel, and had said, he is our Messiah. He would have never gotten to the cross. There would have not been a cross at that time. The kingdom would be set up. He would ascend the throne of David in Jerusalem. So notice what they say here in that light. They said, if he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. You get that? That's the chief priest talking. That's all the elders. That's the high monkey monks of religion. Come down from this cross <coughs> and you can be Messiah. You know how close the scriptures present a radical change in this world? 
if he had come down from the cross, there would be an absolute radical change in this world. You and I would not be dealt with as Gentiles with a whole new program of grace and a new preacher called Paul who led us to it. We would be a Gentile nation and our nation would be deciding in the kingdom whether we wanted to come under Israel or not. We would have been some of the terrors, I'm afraid. Those nations that are cast into outer darkness. Aren't you glad it didn't reach that? You see, that's what's locked in those words by the chief priest. If you come down, we will accept you as king of Israel. That means Messiah. Isn't it good he hang on the cross? I didn't like to see him hang there. I'm afraid if I'd been there during those days, I'd have cried, oh God, there must be another way. Don't let Jesus die like this. But he hang there. And one strategic reason why he hang there was he would perform no miracles to entrance the Sanhedrin group to accept the Messiah. He wouldn't play into that. So come on down, Jesus. We'll let you be king. They must have had the power to do that. That's why I say they were either of the Sanhedrin or representatives of it. They, by their words, had the power to make him king of Israel. They didn't come down. He trusted in God. Look at verse 43. They're throwing the scriptures back at Jesus. He trusted in God. Let God deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I'm the son of God. Come down from the cross. And we'll believe you. Seems like strange words, doesn't it? Well, we've got to stop right here. Our time is gone, but I promise we'll pick up right where we left off next time. Thank you for being with us today. And before we leave, let me invite you to go to our website, Christ-Life.org. Christ-Life.org. Read all about us and also go to the bookstore and look at some of the wonderful material that Warren left behind that you can have in your own home. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week to bring you these wonderful teaching sessions. Also, we'd like to thank Valerie Hill, who does our Twitter account. Thanks to Tammy Laycock, who does our weekly podcast notes. And, of course, a big thanks to our wonderful producer, Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, Loving the Christ Life.